orphans and widows he sustains, as we just sung. We'll read about something just the same now in 1 Kings 17. The focus of our sermon this morning will be the second part of chapter 17, dealing with the widow of Zarephath. But to give you some context, um, I'd like to actually begin at verse 30 of chapter 16. We'll see there why the Lord is judging his people. The kings of northern Israel have become increasingly wicked, and now Ahab has come to reign. He's taken the throne. And so we'll read about this context now, beginning chapter 16, verse 30. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took his wife, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Heel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundations with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Sagub. He set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Kerith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Kerith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. And then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and 
Prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first, and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she ate, and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Now, it happened after these things, that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And the soul of the child revived and came back to him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. I'll read the text for our sermons, this morning's sermon once more. That's the last verse of chapter 17. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, a while ago I was speaking with a friend from Australia about his family and his siblings. He had a few brothers and he told me how their lives had turned out in a sort of surprising way. On the one hand, there was a brother who was rebellious, he never held down a job for too long, and his life seemed like a bit of a wreck and there was a broken marriage there as well. On the other hand, there was a brother who had a successful career and his family stuck together and it seemed that things for this brother, his life in general, was always smooth, sta- smooth, smooth sailing, not so many storms, not so many trials, 
Now, the surprising thing was this. The brother whose life was more messy, who faced greater struggles, he was the one with a clear and a committed faith. But the other brother, who apparently had all that he needed, didn't seem to cling to Christ at all. One brother has a harsh and a poor life, and yet he holds to faith. Another brother has all that you could need, and yet there was little or no faith there. Maybe this kind of family story is something you've heard before. There's a kind of reversal of expectations going on there. It seems back to front. Faith is seen where you might not expect it, and faith is absent where you expect to see it. Our passage today shows a similar kind of situation where what we expect is actually not the case. The opposite is the case. We expect God's covenant people to be faithful, but they're unfaithful. The Lord's people of northern Israel, they've received God's law. They were brought into the promised land. They saw God keeping his word. And now they've rejected God and turned to Baal. They've followed after that wicked king Ahab, who took godless Jezebel for his wife. That's Israel. On the other hand, to the north in the region of Sidon, is the widow. Up there is a a land of Baal worshipping. It's the home of wicked Jezebel. And it's the home of Jezebel's father, King Ethbaal. Even the king there is named after Baal. And in this wicked heathen land, we see the Lord granting faith to the widow in our text. Just the kind of faith that God's covenant calls for. So I preach to you this morning the word of God with this theme. The Lord takes his word to a heathen widow. And we'll see first the widow outside the covenant, and second, the word of the Lord embraced. In our first point, we consider the widow outside the covenant. In verse 24 of our chapter, we read, Then the woman said to Elijah. So who is this woman? What is Elijah doing there? Elijah had been hidden away in Israel, hidden away at the brook Kerith, fed by ravens, but now the Lord sends him to this woman, a widow. The woman said to Elijah, and this woman is a poor widow. She lives outside the covenant community. You may recall from our reading reading that she lives in Zarephath of Sidon. This is an area north of Israel. She's way up north. She's over 80 kilometers north of Mount Carmel, where Elijah is going to go and meet Ahab in the very next chapter. But the, the big point to see is the widow in our story is not in Israel. She's not hidden somewhere in Israel like Elijah was. She's completely outside the land of the covenant. She is an outsider with no part in God's covenant. And Sidon is not some place that is better or more holy than Israel. 
This widow lives in the spiritual badlands. Scripture tells us she is in Zarephath in Sidon. And Sidon is not a friendly neighbor whose people also serve the Lord and make pilgrimage to Jerusalem. That is not the case. We're not talking about a nation that is good for Israel's spiritual health. It's just the opposite. It is a nation that is clearly opposed to God and His ways. The antithesis between God and the devil divides Israel and Sidon. Ahab and his Sidonian princess Jezebel are leading Israel into the worship of false gods. The influence of Sidon is corrupting God's people. The very place where Israel's enemy comes from, Sidon, is the place where the widow in our text lives. It is the home of the enemy, the camp of the foe. It is where the Lord is rejected and Baal is worshipped. And now here is the surprising reversal, like those two brothers I mentioned earlier. In our passage today, the nation of God's favor and God's choosing, Israel, the nation that had all the opportunity, all the blessing of God, His law, His statutes, His covenant, His preservation and care, that nation has abandoned God. But in godless Sidon, the Lord pours out the privileges of the covenant on this widow. The Lord grants her covenant blessings and his light shines now in a dark land. In verse 24 of our text, Elijah is speaking with this widow and this shows us that God has given her an important task. She has the privilege of receiving and accommodating the messenger, the word of the Lord, serving him, showing him hospitality, She has the privilege of preserving the word of the Lord. The widow of Zarephath has this privilege to do the Lord's work while the Israelites are busy serving Baal. On top of this, she has access to God's word. This is also a privilege of God's covenant. Who gets to hear from God? Who gets to receive instruction from Him? His blessing, His guidance. Not Israel, only this widow in a godless land. Only she can hear the voice now of the living God. To her, not to Israel, is God's word sent. And this is, this is so important. What good is Israel's life without the direction of God's word? It would be like some long-distance relationship where you suddenly stop receiving messages from the other person, you never hear from them, you don't know what they're thinking, you don't know what they're doing, you don't know if they still care about you. Without communication from God, Israel's relationship with Him is severed. Israel has no word, no message from the Lord. They've rejected Him. But now in this Baal-worshipping land, the Lord's word of grace comes to this widow. And that is a sure privilege of God's covenant. God speaks and instructs 
a heathen widow. We also see in our passage that covenantal gift of faith that the Lord has given to this widow. This gift of faith appears earlier in our passage. The widow has trusted that the word of the Lord through Elijah is true. Elijah asked the widow to give him food because the Lord will work a miracle and keep her jars full of flour and oil. But when Elijah asks for food, the widow and her son, they're on the brink of death. In verse 12 of chapter 17, the widow says she expects to eat just a few sticks and then die along with her son. In verse 12 she says, quote, See, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Death is at the door. And when death is so close, Elijah tells her in verse 13, make me a small cake. She hears the word of the Lord through Elijah. She acts in faith, not like Israel. She trusts God's word that he will provide. And in verse 18, we again see some faith because she she calls Elijah a man of God. She trusts that Elijah has come from the Lord. She trusts that he is God's holy servant. This is the beginning of faith. And we know that this faith is a gift that comes from God. The widow hasn't found faith on her own. She did not use her willpower to overcome unbelief. She did not rely on just her reason to create some faith. This is a gift from the Lord of the covenant that he alone must give. It's he who circumcises the heart, sends his spirit to give this widow faith. The surprise is that this is happening inside of not Israel. The Lord works faith inside on, a faith which is sadly lacking back in northern Israel. Can you see the judgment taking place here? While faith comes to a widow in the land of the godless, just the opposite is happening back in God's covenant land. In Israel, we don't find people believing in God, but rejecting Him. Israel is empty, it's dry, without rain, under judgment. According to chapter 17, no rain, just judgment. They don't hear the word of the Lord, and they certainly do not trust it. And in judgment, the Lord takes His word away with His prophet to the land of Sidon, because Israel is unrepentant. The Lord Jesus speaks about this exact story in Luke chapter 4. In Luke 4, Christ is addressing the Jews of his own day who, like Israel, are also failing to show faith. Those Jews to whom Christ is speaking, they don't trust him. They don't trust his word. And for that reason, the Lord Jesus teaches them that God will not send them a sign because they are faithless. They don't submit to God's word. They don't hear it. The Lord Jesus said that it was the same in Elijah's time. 
Although there were many widows in Israel, and I quote verse 26 of Luke 4, though there were many widows in Israel, to none of them was Elijah sent, except to Zarephath. In God's judgment, he withdraws his word from Israel and sends Elijah to Sidon. Israel has despised and rejected God's word. And in judgment, the word is taken away, sent somewhere else. Just as Christ gives no sign to the Jews, so the Lord gives no more word to Israel. He takes it away and gives it to a heathen widow. And instead of God's people believing, repenting, it's in the spiritual badlands of Sidon that God's light, that the light of His Word shines. And we can see that when God's people have rejected His Word, the Lord has removed that Word in judgment. This also is a warning for us not to grow cold toward God's Word. We also have to repent. Repent for setting God's Word aside. And perhaps we can think this is not an issue for us. Perhaps you do the will of God or you believe you do the will of God. You don't despise and reject His Word. But brothers and sisters, none of us keep God's Word as we should. None of us live and laugh and think. None of us make decisions with perfect submission to God's Word. There are different times, different temptations that lead us to choose the way of the flesh rather than the way of God's Word. And it is this turning away from God's Word, setting it aside, it's this that we have to repent of. The Lord calls us to treasure His Word, to make it the undoubted rule, to make it the ultimate guide. Sometimes we, we know something is a bit iffy or unbiblical, but we say, ah, it's only a small thing, and choose sin instead. Other times we might not be sure if we're, if we're breaking God's law, but we let it go. We take the quick, the easy decision we plow ahead with, with our plans. But don't despise God's word. Don't set it aside. Instead, bind it around your neck. Write it on your heart. Put it in your memory. Speak it with your mouth. And let it guide you in life's decisions, in life's ups and downs. And when your conscience says, hey, maybe this is not so good, then search God's word, don't just let the problems slide. We're God's covenant children. And he gives us this privilege and this obligation to walk in fellowship, in conversation with him as we pray to him and he speaks to us in scripture. And when we live as covenant children, we trust God's word as that widow in Zarephath did. But we have something and someone more to trust than she did. We have Christ. We have the final word of God. 
the greatest prophet, greater than Elijah? And how much more can we rest all of our trust, all of our hope on him, who is the final, the last, the sufficient word? Our passage today also warns us not to reject this word, this Christ, but give our ear to him, to hear him, to believe him. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. The message the world truly needs is the message of Christ's life, his death and resurrection for sinners. Treasure that gospel. Treasure it. Believe that Christ is the ultimate truth, the greatest news for sinners, the greatest news for the widow, for the weak, for the strong. Don't get caught up with some other prophet, some other promise, some other hope. By the grace of God, we share faith like the widow of Zarephath's faith. Elijah has found her now collecting sticks And we can see the Lord's hand in her life, giving her faith. And yet while the Lord shows his work up in Sidon, his own covenant people are continuing to reject him. In judgment, the Lord continues to work in the land of the enemy. What we've seen so far is how this widow and not Israel have begun to show faith. But the widow's Faith hasn't yet come to full strength, full maturity, you could say. And so we see in our next point, the word of the Lord embraced. The widow is already beginning to embrace God's word. And this is God's judgment against the Israelites who are giving their ear to Baal. But unlike Israel, this widow shows faith. Still, that faith is severely tested at a certain point. It turns out that the widow's faith is not as solid and steadfast as it should be. Even though she could call Elijah a man of God and respond well to Elijah's request for food, we see cracks in her faith beginning to show. It's easy to look strong until someone puts you to the test. And the test for this widow is a big one. In chapter 17, after Elijah has come to her house, she has watched as the Lord provided food and miraculously filled her house with flour and oil. But after that, her son dies. So far, she has dealt well with Elijah and received the word of the Lord. But now here is a great trial for her to face. Her son is gone. And look at her response in verse 18. She said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? The widow is being tested in faith. And her faith even seems to weaken to question to waver. She basically says this so-called servant of God seems to be bringing death to me rather than life. The widow's trust in the Lord is being shaken by the loss of her son. She's in danger of disbelief. 
And so she's hesitated. She has wavered instead of trusting God's faithfulness and waiting to see what he would do. But the Lord graciously continues to bless this woman of Sidon. He uses Elijah to raise the child back to life. In verse 19, Elijah says, Give me your son. He takes the widow's son, probably a a small boy, since they carry him even after he's raised. Elijah takes the boy, lays him down, calls upon the Lord, stretches himself upon the child. And then verse 22 and 3 say, The soul of the child came back to him and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. There's the reminder, there's the view that the Lord is at work. When Israel is judged dying for lack of rain, thirsty in Israel, the Lord restores life and shows his power up inside on. And where is the widow's faith now? Is it still wavering? Her faith is strengthened when she sees the hand of the Lord at work. And instead of an uncertain and a a questioning heart, she now makes a confession of faith before the Lord. She says in verse 24, Now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. She says, Now I know. Now after seeing the work of God, she has the kind of certain, sure faith. The faith that we expect to see among God's covenant people. Her doubting and her wavering, her weakness are flying away as she sees the power of the Lord. And it's by the Lord's Spirit that she receives this sure knowledge. That's what the true faith of God's covenant people is like according to Lord's Day 7. True faith is a sure knowledge. That is the gracious work that God does with his people. He moves them to the point of certainty, to the point of sure knowledge. So that we can say also, now I know. And we learn more about the gift of faith that God is giving to this widow. The gift of faith is not just confidence and certainty in general. The faith of God's covenant is not just being sure about any random thing or being a self-assured, confident person. It's something different. The widow's faith is in something. There is some truth, some fact that the widow believes. It's, it's right there in verse 24. Now by this I know. What, what does she know? That you are a man of God. And that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. The Lord's gift of faith brings this widow to the point that she can trust the prophet and his word. She knows that Elijah is not a false prophet, not a deceiver. Elijah is a a true, legitimate prophet. And she knows that the word of the Lord that's come to her It's true, it's good, it's real, 
unlike the words of the Baal prophets that she has likely encountered. It's not fake news, as they say. So the widow's confession of faith shows that she has embraced and received God's word. The word of the Lord in Elijah's mouth is the truth. That's what the widow's come to know for sure. God's word is truth. Another way to say that, the word of the Lord is reliable. Maybe this is an obvious point, but we need to remind ourselves of this. The word of the Lord is the truth. What else is the truth? There are many words, books, articles, opinions, but which of them is without a doubt the truth? Which word, which paragraph can absolutely, completely claim to be the truth? If we take three different newspapers, lay them side by side, we probably need to double-check all three of them before we can get a real picture of what exactly is going on and what this real story is. Not one of them could be the truth that deserves our complete trust. Words, even numbers and statistics, can very often be misleading, if not false. Now compare the doubtful character of this world's words with the truth of God's word. The word of the Lord is the truth. It gives you the right way. It gives you the right perspective. The words of scripture are the glasses that help us to truly see the world properly. No biases. No mistakes in God's word. Just the truth. The widow confesses that the Lord's word is truth. And that means whatever disagrees with this word is false, it is phony, it is to be rejected. Even if my own mind, my thinking, my reasoning disagrees with that word, then we say, the word of the Lord is true. I have made a mistake. And this is the widow's new confidence that she's received from God. The Lord has strengthened her wavering faith while Israel has lost all faith, it seems. Israel is too busy, too preoccupied with their Baal worship and their vain hopes to find rain without the Lord's word. And God's covenant people need to repent. They've ignored the God who speaks the truth. And they've looked to Baal, who is supposed to be the rain god. According to the Sidonians, well, they have no rain, so they turn to Baal, rather than trusting the Lord to remove the drought. But now the Lord has removed his word and brought it to people with ears to hear, people with eyes to see. And there's a warning here also for God's people today. If we live in sin and unbelief, the Lord will find another place to do His work. We need to constantly turn back to God and trust in His word, His promises to His covenant people. The Lord has granted us, you, 
the blessings of his covenant, the word of God, the church, the communion of saints, the comfort of the gospel, the free forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. And in response, we as God's people are to cling to him in faith. We are to hold his word as the truth. There may be other gods, other books, other opinions that claim to be the truth, but the Lord calls his people to keep the covenant and trust his word as the truth, as the rule, as the ultimate answer. Trust that his word is enough. We need the Lord to work in us by his spirit so that we would see how his word is the ultimate treasure, the undeniable truth. Through that word, we encounter our God. And in that word, with every word in your Bible, God speaks. Let us pray then that the Lord would wipe away our unbelief, that he would make us confident in the powerful truth of Scripture. May God grant us a faith that trusts in his word above all else without wavering. Brothers and sisters, our God is the author of Scripture. So may we listen to his truthful word And so may we believe. Amen.